0: The text chosen for this morning worship service comes from 1 Samuel 20, verses 42. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to town. The sermon I am reading this morning comes from the hand of Reverend Ruben Ruben Bradenhoff, Minister of the Free Reformed Church of Mount Nasura, Western Australia. After the sermon, we will sing standing, Hymn 43, verse 1, 2, 3, and 6. Brothers and sisters in Christ, a friend is a precious gift. It is a blessing coming from God to have someone at your side, a companion you can count on and a friend you can turn to. And this is true no matter our age. Friends, are not, are, friends aren't only the concern of kids or teenagers. At every stage of life, it is a blessing to have a friend or maybe even two. Your friend might be someone in your class at school. Your friend might be your spouse. Your friend might be a fellow church member. Your closest friend may even be your sibling. Whatever the case, such a person can provide times and in help, help in times of trouble. Friends can share your joys in times of happiness. Friends, very simply, can be there no matter your condition. Friends are a gift, a gift from the Lord. And we know this because of the way the Bible describes friendship. There are a few beautiful proverbs that get to the heart of what a friend really is. Think of Proverbs 17, verse 18. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Or Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Indeed, we also know from the Bible that there is such things as a false friend. There are friends who will desert you when the good times are over. There are friends who will even lead you away from the Lord. Yet it is a true friendship that we want to look at this morning, as we open our Bibles to 1 Samuel. For in our chapters is one of the greatest friendships ever described, that of David and Jonathan. This is a committed, lasting friendship, firstly because this was a friendship with a solid basis. Both David and Jonathan loved the Lord with all their hearts. As we look at these chapters, we should remember that the first purpose is not to teach us about godly friendship. The first purpose of these chapters is to keep recounting the history of God's people. Here God is still preparing the new king for Israel, getting him ready for the throne. But if anything, it is these background events that make the friendship of David and Jonathan even more amazing. So let us look at this morning the true friendship of David and Jonathan. First, we will look at, it is unselfish. In the second place, it is faithful. And in the third place, it is in the Lord. After his victory over Goliath in chapter 17, David essentially becomes part of the royal family. For Saul had promised his daughter in marriage to the man who cl- killed the Flintston champion. And so David marries Saul's daughter, Michal. As part of Saul's family and the royal court, David comes to spend much time with Saul's eldest son, Jonathan. Now, let's realize that this Jonathan was the crown prince of Israel. This was the man that under normal circumstances would be fully expected to sit on the throne after Saul. Well, God granted this gift of friendship to these two young men. Chapter 18, verse 1 tells us, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. They found in each other a kindred spirit, a shared outlook, a united purpose, common ground which brought them close together. This and this was expressed in the dedicated love. They loved each other as they loved themselves. Each of them would put the other first. Jonathan and David even sealed their friendship with a covenant. As part of this covenant, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. This action was more than just, a sp- this action was more than just spontaneous generosity on Jonathan's part. He was just providing the shepherd with some soldier's gear. No, these were special weapons and clothing, that of a crowned prince. Jonathan was giving David the equipment of the future king. Jonathan was so dedicated to his friend, he was willing to give him everything, even his right to the throne. Did Jonathan already know that David had been appointed the next king? Did he he know he was making friends with his rival for the throne? It is hard to say, but scripture portrays Jonathan as a godly young man with insight into the ways of the Lord. Surely then, Jonathan recognized that his father was not a God-pleasing ruler, and Jonathan wasn't afraid to admit that David was a fitting replacement for his father as king. Right in the middle of this account of their friendship, verse 2 describes Saul's view of David. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his father's house. Notice the stark contrast. With David and Jonathan enjoying an open open mutual relationship, Saul forces David to stay. And this was because David served his interests. Saul depended on David to soothe his spirit with a harp and to fight his battles with the sword. For selfish reasons, he would keep David near. And David did not disappoint. Verse 5 speaks of how David carried out whatever task. Saul gave him to do. Saul even gave him a high rank in the the army. We should take note of this because before, Jonathan had been second in command. It seems that David has surpassed Saul's son, but still they were friends. As a general, David won the hearts wherever he went. He started with the defeat of Goliath and it continued with further victories over Philistia. The people sang their tribute to David. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Israel was starting to see which man could really lead the way. Yet when he heard these words, Saul was enraged. He recalled what Samuel said, that the kingdom would be taken away and given to someone else. Saul begins to suspect that it might be David who will get the kingdom. And this burning jealousy drives the action of the rest of the book. As 18 verse nine tells us, from that time on, Saul's kept a jealous eye on David. Saul's jealousy is always, Saul's jealousy is always a dangerous thing. It's more than just wish, wishing for what others have. Jealousy is representing others because it seems God has blessed them more than you. With good reason, the Catechism calls jealousy, or envy, the root of murder. So easily, the resentment of jealousy can become bitterness, can become hatred, and can grow into violence. It did for Saul. The jealousy of his heart provided fertile ground for an evil spirit to continue its work. In a rage, Saul tried to kill David in his court. And this was only the first of many attempts at murder we see that Saul has descended a long way from where he was at this point. He still could have humbly accepted God's will, that he'd be replaced as king. Instead, but instead, he opposed this idea with all his might. And again, consider the contrast with the fe- fellowship enjoyed by Do- Jonathan and David. As mentioned, David had surpassed Jonathan in mil- the military chain of command. What's more... David looked to be the next king of Israel, not Jonathan. All of this gave Jonathan so many reasons for jealousy and vi- so many reasons for jealousy and violence. Yet what does Jonathan do? He commits himself to David. He gives his friend the royal weapons. He helps David ascend the throne. Jonathan has accepted his place in God's plan even if it were a lesser place. Beloved, this was a true friendship. For true friends do not get caught up in competitions over who is best, who is wealthiest, who has the best job. True friends do not complain when the other gets recognition or praise. Rather, true friends seek each other's good. They rejoice when the other has reason to rejoice. They help the other on his way, especially when they see that God has given a special ability and a special calling. This is a true friend this is true for friendship in marriage. This is true for friendship in school or at work. This is true for friendship in the church. God calls us to the friendship of unselfish service. God calls us to the relationships in which we sacrifice and strive to put the other first. We all know this goes against the grain even when it comes to people we dearly love, we prefer to put ourselves ahead. And we do put ourselves ahead in so many little ways by our words and choices and our thoughts. Certainly, true friendship calls for much humility and much effort. But based on a shared faith in God and with the strength that God provides, such a friendship is possible and it will endure. And that brings us to our second point. It is a faithful friendship. When it became clear that Saul wanted David dead, David goes on the run and stays on the run. Yet David also seeks reconciliation with his father-in-law. David wants to find out, is there something that he can make better? Is there maybe something, misunderstanding, that needs clearing up? David here heeds God's command, the command that we must live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on us. David pleads with Jonathan for help in this situation, and Jonathan is willing. Whatever you want me to do, I will do for you. As true love always is, the friendship between these two would be expressed in action, not just in words, but also in deeds. David wants to test Saul's true opinion of him. The test would be at the upcoming festival. As a m- member of the royal family, David was expected to present Saul, or was expected to be present. Saul's reaction to his absence would speak volumes. Jonathan still thinks the best of his father, but he agrees to watch his reaction and to let David know the result. At the time, we receive another hint that Jonathan knows that David is the chosen one by God, for he blesses David in chapter 20, verse 13. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But Jonathan also wants David to promise his faithfulness in return. 1 Samuel 20 verse 14 and 15 says, Show me unfailing kindness like that of the the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Jonathan wanted assurance that if and when David took the throne, he would not kill Saul's family. Now, not to do so would be the contrary to all expectations. For among the nations, whenever a new dynasty took over, it was only natural that all supporters of the previous regime would be put to death, lest they revolt later. But David gives his word. And further on, we can read how David kept his promise. In 2 Samuel 9, When he finally sat on Israel's throne, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? There was a crippled man named Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. So David took care of him until his dying day. Yes, even later, even long after Jonathan was dead, David honored his promise. This was because their relationship was as we've seen, sealed in a covenant. We do not know exactly what this covenant involved, except we could compare it to other covenants in the Old Testament. There was, of course, God's covenant with Noah and Abraham in Israel. But we read of people also making covenants with each other as peace treaties or binding agreements. Such covenants always include an oath, an official promise, or a vow. That's what happened between these two friends. Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as himself. No matter what happened, no matter who became king, this relationship was unbreakable. It was official, sealed with an oath bound by the name of the Lord. Here we might compare this friendship to marriage a marriage relationship. For between these two, there was a permanent bond of promise and obligation. They would be faithful until and even after death did depart. In 2 Samuel 1 verse 26, David speaks of his friendship with Jonathan in those terms. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. Now, some people may read those words about David and Jonathan and raise an eyebrow. A love better than women? Sounds like these friends were a bit close. Yet such thoughts misses the point on so many levels. We've already seen this relationship was not about personal gratification. It was about humble service. This relationship wasn't self-willed. It was according to God's will. David and Jonathan were close because they were brothers, brothers in faith. Instead of being suspicious of this close friendship, let us admire its devotion and attachment. And let us appreciate how a shared faith will always bind people together. If we believe in God together, it means we share things that run very deep. We have the same joys, the same struggles, the same purpose, and the same hope. A shared faith unites husband and wife through good days and bad. A shared faith binds Christian friends together through thick and thin. And it brings a church together so much that we can even say we love each other as brothers, as sisters, and and as friends. So David and Jonathan agreed to test Saul's intentions. And the result is worse than either of them expected. When Jonathan speaks up to explain his absence, Saul's anger flared up at him and said, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't you know you have... Don't you know that you have sided with the son of Jesse? Saul doesn't understand this, their friendship. Only he knows he won't tolerate it. He even urges Jonathan to kill David so that Jonathan can preserve the family honour. In his rage, he hurls a spear at Jonathan. Saul's jealous hatred has reached a point of obsession. Saul wants to be rid of anyone who might take Israel's throne. With that, Jonathan leaves his father's presence. He has to convey the news to David, but not simply through the impersonal means of shooting those arrows and yelling at the boy. It is a touching scene when they finally meet. They bow, they embrace, and they weep. And it says David wept the most. We don't know exactly what David cried about, but we can well imagine. He wept for King Saul, what King Saul had become. He wept for the broken relationship of Saul and his son Jonathan. He wept for Jonathan, who would not become king. Yet David and Jonathan also wept together. They are together in the struggle, together able to express their sorrow, together able to pray, together able to find courage from God to carry on. As a proverb says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. These two would stick together because... Because in their God, they could. In the scriptures, our God also often calls us to imitate him. To imitate his love, his mercy, his generosity. And also to imitate his faithfulness. For God is faithful. He never deserts us and never forsakes us. He sticks close to us. He never breaks his word. But always honors his promise and obligation. And for that reason, we must be faithful to one another. We're called to be just as faithful in our friendships, in our marriages, in our relationships with fellow members in Christ. We see this especially in chapter 20, verse 14. There Jonathan urges David, show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live. The word for kindness used by Jonathan is the word that most often expresses God's love for humans. It is life-sustaining grace of God that makes it possible to have a relationship with him. Yet it is the same kindness that we turn, that we in turn can show in our human relationships. Can we show a kindness that is free, a kindness that doesn't consider what might be given in return, a kindness that is loyal no matter what happens? No wonder Jonathan says, show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord. Imitating God, the Lord calls us to constantly look out for each other and to stay true to those we love. Showing the kindness of the Lord can mean forgiving the terrible wrongs and the offenses that people have done against us. It can mean seeking reconciliation, even if it is the last thing we feel like doing. It can mean denying your own plans and laying aside your pride and your honor to serve someone else. It can mean giving yourself until it seems you have nothing Left to give. Again, it goes against the human grain, yet through such faithfulness, the faithful God receives the glory. True friend, friendship is a beautiful part of life, yet sometimes, we all know, this life is not, does not have a happy ending. For in this last chapter of this book, David's dear friend is killed on the same day his father Saul was. Yet there was no reason to doubt that David and Jonathan's commitment ever changed. The last time they saw each other, Jonathan underlined his conviction of David, that David would be king. You will be king over Israel, and I will second you. Again, there is no jealousy. There is no resentment. There is only faithful devotion. In God's wisdom, he took Jonathan to himself before David ascended the throne. Yet even after death, yet even death could not break their bond even another defeat to the full instance could not dull the shine of their relationship, for theirs was and is a friendship in the Lord. So what was it that bound David and Jonathan so closely together? What gave them the spirit of love that when they could have been expected to hate each other and put each other down? The text leaves no doubt about the basis of their bond. As we've, already, as we've said already, it was a commitment in the Lord. Consider the way they speak to each other. Hear how they make, va- make vows of faithfulness in God's name. Listen as Jonathan prays for God to be with David and bless him. Think of how they call God as witness. They lay their friendship before God and call him to judge them if they were ever unfaithful. The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. It is the faithfulness of God that would help them remain faithful, even as long as they lived. And as they depart from each other, they go in peace. They have peace with each other because, more importantly, they have peace with God. Whatever their external differences, they have an inner unity, for they are both recipients of God's mercy and goodness. Yes, the unity of David and Jonathan can be taken as a shining example of what true godly friendship ought to be, but the Bible also speaks about the other kind of friendship. Again, Proverbs give us much guidance. He who walks with the wise will grow wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Fools for friends will harm you. And who is a fool? It is someone who does not fear the Lord, nor keep his commands. Such a person will help will not help but hinder your service to God, for example, it is so dangerous if we choose to hang out with heavy drinkers and party animals with blasphemers and bedhoppers. It is dangerous even to make friends with those we say that they are moral but who care little about the Lord or his church and Why is this so dangerous? God says. It's almost certain that we'll learn their attitudes, their behaviors, their way of speaking. Even without intending intending to, such people will bring our defenses down. They will dull our spiritual awareness, and they will distract us from what we ought to be doing. Paul urges us in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 and 15, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Keep in mind, Paul isn't just talking about marrying a non-Christian. He is talking about simply being friends with those who do not love the Lord. If we don't share Christ, if we don't share Christ with the friends we choose, what worthwhile thing keeps us together? There is nothing. There is no lasting foundation. Rather, God calls us to seek out people who will join us in worshiping him. He calls us to seek the company of those who won't lead us into sin, but who will help us to be holy through their prayer and their support. Our spouses, our friends, our weekend companions, these all should be people who would join us in dedication to God. Beloved, let us then treasure the true friends that God has given us. Let us then seek out true companions in the family of Christ. As brothers and sisters and as friends, let us help one another above all in serving the Lord. In all these relationships, we humbly imitate our God in heaven. He is holy. He is faithful. He is forgiving. He is generous. He is good. And for the sake of Jesus Christ, he calls us his friends. Amen.